Welcome to Tea Time with Shaylee and Amber, the podcast where we talk about all the shit that your horse wants you to know and what you can do about it. Amber is a horse trainer and a personal results coach, certified in Theta and Semitic Breathwork. Shaylee is an animal communicator who also teaches communication. Both knowledge seekers with the intention of sharing that knowledge and hoping that we can encourage the listeners to do the same. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are super excited to be talking with Tara Davis. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Definitely. Um, We have gotten the privilege of co-creating with you now twice, which has been magical. And there's something so special about being able to like share the same space, even like the living space and like really get to know each other. And um, so this just feels super, super fun and awesome to have you on. Um, I know that a lot of listeners probably know you as the unbridled goddess and for your amazingness as a horse trainer, but selfishly, I want to start out with asking about your breeding program and that sacred space that you're creating with your horses, because I just feel like it's, it's really beautiful what you're doing. And the, the industry is under like such scrutiny, you know what I mean? And there's so many different opinions and carelessness, dare I say, when it comes to breeding horses. And I just am curious, like, how did wanting to, like, how did this all come to be? Oof, well, I definitely never in a million years would have ever expected to be, you know, under the label of horse breeder because I've always been involved in rescue. Like, since I was a kid, we had rescue animals and I was really staunchly of the like adopt, don't shop mindset. And um, I have, adopted and rescued I gosh probably like 15 horses not like so many horses um for for not being like a technical rescue um I've always felt really called to that and so feeling like as a as a equine behaviorist as a spiritual equine seeker as you know an advocate for the horse as a trainer, as an empath, when I kept, I keep having these rescue horses come in and learning to begin to unwind the trauma that they've experienced and realizing how so much of the trauma goes beyond just the like surface level of trauma that happens in their lives from birth through to when they come to me, which is in and of itself, like a very intense story for many of these horses, even the ones who don't have like quote unquote, like big T trauma, like who have lived relatively normal horse lives and yet whose voices have been stripped and their autonomy has been stripped from, you know, either being a competitive horse or, you know, being used exclusively for their bodies. Um, But that as I have continually stripped away at these, um, you know, these traumas and helped to like re- like reclaim the horse's voices and recognizing that a lot of the trauma that they are carrying goes beyond just the, the life that they're living currently, but like the generational trauma that they've experienced, they, a lot of generational trauma that they're inheriting from their mothers, um, both from, you know, the mother's past, but also the interactions that they have with their mother in the short time that they're with their mother. And then also the 
like abrupt removal of mother and how that carries on like with specifically with the male horses and how much trauma the male horses carry from, you know, the separation of their mothers, but also, and something that I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people can recognize like, oh, you know, gentle weaning practices and like healthy mom, like dams will help the babies be healthier and, you know, more well-adjusted, but not a lot of people talk about the, um, like the influence of the stallion and the trauma that they've experienced and the trauma that they're passing on from like a genetic standpoint, if we, if we haven't worked to like help them release the trauma that they have experienced in their lifetime before like continuing on, um, breeding with them. And so like basically over the course of rescuing stallions, rescuing mares and witnessing, um, witnessing the changes that occur in them and witnessing the changes that will occur in future generations as we begin to work on healing, like basically stopping the generational trauma cycle of trauma and gifting horses coming into this world of which there always will be horses coming into this world and gifting the souls that do cho choose to come through a space in which both their, you know, their like chosen physical parents, their stallion and their mare are, um, you know, working on healing and have been, um, supported in their healing process and kind of stepping up into their, stepping up into their own, um, authenticity and power and not having that continually stripped away by people. Um, so yeah, that's like, as, as a, a person who, is steeped in helping horses, but also in helping people with their horses and seeing how many people are being, um, you know, it's, I, I feel so deeply that each horse that comes into our lives is coming into our lives for a reason, for a lesson to teach us, to, um, reflect something that we need to see back at us. And, um, you know, to, they, they choose to be a part of our journey I have felt really called for a long time to like work with horses to get them to their final person, if that makes sense. Like I gather horses who come to me, but then I also feel like a lot of horses come to me as like a, um, a portal into their, their like person who they need to be with in order to like bring about the, the depth of their lessons and the depth of their, you know, capacity in this life. Um, and so I've done that with lots of rescue horses and, um, I love being like a equine human matchmaker in that sense, feeling like I can help like provide spiritual bonds for them and get them to the places that they need to. And then I've been in the last like four or five years, I've been feeling really called to also, um, do that same thing, but with like with babies, like starting, starting with the dams, starting with the stallions, getting to a place, getting them all to a place where they are um, like autonomous and in their journey and feeling heard and feeling like they are able to, you know, participate actively in their purpose, bringing in so these souls, bringing in these foals who I know will get guided to their person who they need to be with. And it's really cool because, um, Asteria, my foal this year, 
it was such a clear that was so clear like from the moment she was born obviously and like so in love with her but I was like she needs there's a person who's going to like come into her life and just appreciate her for like everything that she is without question without fail and it's going to be this like really important thing and then Stacia saw that like 30 second video of her and was like that's my horse and it's been so clear from that moment like this was who that this horse was meant to be with her and this is like her her next step in the journey and KD was so like yes this is your next lot like this is the next step in your journey I've prepared you for this so it's just really cool to see that kind of coming to fruition and I feel really passionately that um you know providing providing doesn't feel really like the right word but more like channeling these horses into existence who are like ready to be met with partners who have done the work and who are ready to appreciate this like not to say that they're better in any way shape or form than any of these other horses but like to be able to give these souls a gift of um you know having all their needs met from day one and and like truly listening to their purpose and their their journey in this life and being able to you know then connect them with a person who's also going to feel the same um I just felt really called to do that it's so cool cool. because have you ever never ever heard of anyone that breeds horses ever talk about the generational trauma aspect ever and for those I also felt called to say that for those of you who are listening that don't understand how generational trauma works because I feel like I didn't for a while it was just something I would hear and I'd be like oh yeah generational trauma sure you know like where, you know, after reading, it didn't start with you. It was such a profound like shift for me to understand how like it's so scientifically rooted in, but actually your nervous system is wired to, because to be able to survive the things that, you know, your grandmother, great grandmother has gone through because you're existing, your egg is existing in their body um, while they're going through that. So it was that moment I read that I was like, oh, it's not just like some weird thing people say it's like real <laughs> yeah and to go like than than that as well too like the the way that trauma like trauma and not necessarily just in the way that we talk about trauma nowadays but like trauma in that like you know the body perce- the nervous system perceives the body perceives danger and trauma and like genuinely turns different genes on or off like I went through three years of chemotherapy and I had blonde hair and it was stick straight. And when it came out, you can't tell right now because it's in dreads, but when literally when my hair grew back, it was ringlet curls because I had the gene for ringlet curls, but the, you know, I don't know exactly what it was. My nurse practitioner explained it to me though. They see it really frequently where like the genes for what your hair is coded to do, whether it's straight or whether it's curly will change. And sometimes you'll even have like hair color and eye color change as well. Um, And so just the way that that's just a small selection of it, but there's also things like um, in horses, there's um, ENAD, which is like Oh gosh, neuroaxonal dystrophy, equine neuroaxonal dystrophy, I think is the word, the, the technical name for it. Um, where basically if you have a lack of vitamin E, you'll get lesions on the brainstem and it causes um it causes a variety of varying degrees of ataxia and um neurologic behavior. 
and with stallions who it's genetic you can you um you can you receive the the genes for it from your parents but for stallions who are a carrier of it and who are vitamin e deficient so like vitamin e is the thing that turns it on and turns it off uh if they're vitamin e deficient they are 40 percent more likely to pass it along to their uh their children and so even just something as simple as that of like their 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 physical needs being met the amount of minerals that and vitamins that they have in their body will affect what genes they pass on and how healthy their offspring are and when you kind of you can look at it not just from like the spiritual and energetic but you know if you're like me and like love a little science on the side too it's like no literally <laughs> the genetics are changed by the environment that you are in not only that but the spiritual experiences that you have attribute to the environment that you're in and can also influence the genes as well um so yeah it's uh it's yeah the crossroads of spirituality and science and also just feeling like honoring the honoring the lineages of the horses that came before and like the horses that carried carried us as humanity all the way to this point and now they're they deserve they deserve to be like lifted up to the place of royalty that they are and honored for all the gifts that they have. Which is a perfect segue into what I'm like, just so like humbled by lately um, is this like great awakening that horses keep telling me about. And your baby who transitioned Enzo um, was the one who actually just recently told me what it was because I've had bro who passed away. Um, oh, so dragon. It's like, everybody was saying like, oh, we're part of something so much more like this is like, you know, people are always like, oh, it's a great time to be alive. And these horses are like, it's a great time to be non-physical. Like, they're just like, this is that there's just such a big shift in like in humanity right now. And in the equine industry and Amber and I keep like saying to each other, like, are we just in a little bubble or are things actually shifting? And the horses are like, things are actually shifting and it's little by little, like it's not everywhere, but there's this energetic shift that's happening. And Enzo called it a power move, which I thought was awesome. And he said that horses are deliberately coming to this earth in various ways. Um, with this energy of you are not going to be entitled to ride me. It's not going to be human entitlement over horses anymore. Um, and it's just so interesting. So we talk all the time about the pendulum swing. And I just think it's so beautiful that all of these horses are like, you know, we came here to shift. And I say this all the time because horses have the ability to like bring people together and tear them apart like no other animal like it doesn't really happen with dogs it doesn't happen with cats it's like religion and horses and politics <laughs> like they're kind of like these big somehow horses are are in the mix there and the horses are telling me lately that they are Enzo called it an Achilles heel in the neck and I got a million messages about it um because it was too much of a subliminal message I think but essentially he wasn't calling it any one thing he was like there is a so so ecvm which is something everyone's looking into the missing piece of the nuchal ligament 
um, any destabilization in the cervical vertebrae. Um, he, he said that it's mostly in the neck right now. Like that's like the big, so kissing fine was the first piece is what he told me. And that wasn't enough. Everyone just does this. Yeah. Riding their horses. Yes. And he was like, kissing's fine. It wasn't enough to destabilize the spine. And their humans found a way around it to keep going. And he's like, so what more of a power move from a non-predatory power animal, as you call them, that I have adopted, (laughs) than to come with literally a bone that like is malformed or can't be changed or altered by humans. Like it's so wild. Um, And I just think it's pretty amazing. And not to say that we want them to be born that way, you know what I mean? But if you look at it from a deeper sense and you take like the way humans would feel about like a quote broken body and you look at like the energy behind what horses are trying to do, it is a big, bold move. Well, and we've rested our, our value of horses on their backs for their backs and their necks and their chests for thousands of years. We've built civilizations off of them. And now we've come to this place where we don't need them anymore. And yet we still want to place the weight of all of our, you know, collective burdens on their backs. And they're, I mean, for a long time, I felt like the horses in like the lessons that I was receiving from them was like, they were, they kept saying like they were finally grateful to be um, brought to the table for a part, to be a part in the conversation. And it's been like a quiet little side conversation in this like very loud party. And I feel like over time they're starting to, you know, that was like 10 years ago. And now they're like, okay, like we've, we're ready to have our stories be told a little bit more. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's partly, you know, from a breeding standpoint, it's interesting how it has accumulated from a desire to constantly make things easier for us humans, like to either, um, you know, especially when we look at ECVM and the desire at the, the like upwards trend in ECVM and the upward trend and the desire to have more and more manageability in horses um, for them to have the like less ability to resist the hand, um, you know, looking back on in breeding um, and looking at horses who were less resistant to the hand being more desirable than horses that were more resistant to the hand and looking at those horses and going like, what you know, genetic component of their literal ability to, um, or their lack of ability to resist that we decided that was the thing we wanted to chase after. And it's just so interesting to see how, you know, humanity has, has chosen over the last, however many years that this um, issue has been continuing. It's not really easy to track when it started, but it's interesting how it's reaching this fever pitch now where, you know, horses are have moved away from like use, you know, whether it's like helping to, you know, plow the fields or, you know, carry your families to and from home and school to sport. And as we see more and more money and more and more greed, you know, taking over the sport and seeing how 
that is infiltrating horse breeding and how it's affecting it from a spiritual standpoint too is just interesting that the it's literally destabilizing like this this any any issue in the neck whether it's the nuchal ligament whether it's ecvm whether it's you know arthritis of the neck it's literally destabilizing the singular part of the horse in which if that falls apart we cannot you know continue to place our burdens on their backs um so it's just it's interesting to look at from all of these different perspectives. Yeah. And also when you said in the beginning, you, for the rescues and for the horses that you bring in, you know, helping them regain that autonomy, helping them regain their voice and bringing them back to that place where they can just be in their bodies and be safe. Like, what does that look like when you do that with a horse? Oh gosh. Well, it looks different for each course, of course, but, um, starting with just listening to their nose and allowing them to say no. So the biggest thing that I see with horses who come in is that their nose have not been listened to. So they either come to me because their nose have gotten so loud that they're dangerous and people don't want to listen to them when they're yelling no, or that they've said yes for so long that they have sacrificed their bodies. Um, and can no longer function in a way that's, you know, uh, useful. And so starting to listen to their nose, which might mean like helping them find a way to say no, whether that's giving them space and letting them come back to just being a horse before beginning to interact with them again, obviously like, you know, just like turn them out into pasture and not look at them. But a lot of horses um, are coming from an environment in which they're not having all of their basic needs met and then bringing them into the space and like letting them come back to being who they are at their core, which is a horse that, you know, has basic needs and has um, also has deep emotional and spiritual needs as well. And trying to meet all of those before beginning to introduce more regular human interaction and seeing like, once you have gone through the process of kind of returning to horse state, how do you feel about me coming in and, and interacting with you? Um, can I, can I help you find places to say no, not by pushing them too hard, but by like, you know, really explaining to them that they can say no and only, and like listening to their tiniest, tiniest nose. So learning how to, um, understand that and honor and respect that. And, um, Sometimes for horses who have like severe physical limitations, that's the extent to which we, we go to, whether it's, um, you know, just getting them comfortable with being able to be handled and having their, you know, veterinary and farrier needs met and, and that's it. And they just get to be, they get to enjoy being a horse again, or, um, for horses who, you know, physically are able to participate in, in more work. It's like returning to, um, not work per se, but like engaging in some play, engaging in liberty, seeing what they want to say yes to. And it's amazing how, um, I think I get really tied up in, I have in, since dealing with all of these horses who have physical limitations and my fear of pushing them and fear of like hurting them and feel a fear of doing something that, um, that might injure or 
that I won't be able to hear if I'm hurting them. Um, the interesting thing has been allow allowing them to really choose what they participate in and how much they get out of an authentically autonomous artistic expression. So being able to help them find a way to connect with humans in an autonomous manner that allows them to express themselves artistically through their body has been, yeah, that's been another really amazing aspect of um, helping these rescue horses to be able to connect with their purpose and connect with their bodies again. I find a lot of times when I talk to horses that have had a traumatic background, um, they find people too, who don't really understand how to express their own no, and they don't like, you know, they, the human doesn't understand like how to say no when they want to say no. And the boundaries are not there for the human. And unfortunately the horse gets the backlash of that because you can't offer to someone else something that you don't experience yourself. So I feel like that's probably such a big piece of it. And I know, especially for me, like when you talk about play, horses all the time are like, I just need to play and playing can simply be like seeking some little grass blades in a place that I don't normally go or, you know, just very simple things. I think sometimes when people think of play or they see, you know, positive reinforcement, they see all of the fancy things and the running around and they're scared of that or don't know how or where to start. And oftentimes I find myself saying like, well, what do you do when you play as an adult? If I say like, hey, go play, you're not going to go and like, typically, like an adult person is not just going to be like going and doing cartwheels, they're going to be like swinging their arms and like maybe giggling uncomfortably. And you know, and it kind of starts like that for the horses too. So I think, um, yeah, play is something that they ask for um, all the time. I kind of want to circle back to like, your stallions, because I, I feel like um, it's important for people to know that your stallions are still exuberant stallion boys with lots of testosterone. And you are, I've seen you in person, very small, <laughs> you're tiny, and your horses yet have care for you. And I think it would be really cool to speak about how like you cultivate that environment and how I know for me at elements of connection where you spoke to the piece of co-regulation and how like humans are meant to co-regulate with each other. And, you know, if you think about like a baby in a crib versus one that's nurtured and, um, and then you translated that to horses, like, can you speak a little bit about that? Cause I think it would be cool for people to hear. Definitely. I think that the stallions are like the, um, they're the most obvious example of what I briefly touched on earlier with like the, um, male horses really suffering from the like early weaning practices and the lack of co-regulation, the lack of development of co-regulation that comes when, um, horses are weaned before they're naturally ready to. And I think the interesting thing has been seeing, you know, con pretty continuously, except for in some cases, of course, because obviously, you know, individuals and, and individual experiences, but for a lot of horses, you know, their, um, 
they're weaned and if they're destined to be stallions, then they, if they're lucky, they're able to be turned out in a herd of young colts until they're like two. And then they, you know, go into isolation, but oftentimes stallions will go into isolation pretty much right after they're weaned. Um, and obviously again, that was a generalization, but specifically in the U S that's what I see most frequently. Um, and for mares, you know, young fillies that are, are, um, weaned, the one thing that they oftentimes experience is the, the gift of being able to be turned out into another herd, oftentimes with other mares who kind of take up that, um, like they become a sub a surrogate mother of sorts where they're able to experience some level of development of co-regulation. And of course, like the mares and the gelding mares, geldings and stallions have their different needs and their different like emotional and somatic needs in order to process. But I find most often that stallions are the ones that suffer from the lack of co-regulation that happens um, from missing that very important part of development development from like five to six months through to a year um, that oftentimes they're missing from their dams. And so the interesting thing with, with my stallions and the process that I've gone through with helping them to develop into like a healthier um, capacity for regulation, um, which is the singular thing that allows me to let them be as exuberant and, you know, free as they are, is their capacity for emotional regulation, which means, and I've touched on this before um, publicly, but the, I don't want, uh, they, I don't want them to be manageable. I want them to be able to be themselves and be able to manage themselves, if that makes sense. I don't want them to like be good listeners. And so I can keep their emotions in check. I want them to have a full spectrum of emotions that they are able to move through in a healthy manner. And the only way that they can have that is through the development of a healthy capacity for emotional regulation. And unfortunately, unless I've had them since birth, um, that oftentimes means that they have a significant lack in that development that happened from, uh, you know, the time they were weaned where industry standard is like five to seven months. If they're lucky, it's more towards the seven month um, age, but most likely it was between five and five and six months. Um, and so my, my stallions that I have oftentimes, well, everyone that I've had has to go through the process of developing the ability to co-regulate before they can self-regulate. Um, and I think that's an important uh, distinction to the ability to co-regulate is different than the ability to self-regulate, but you can't have that self-regulation until you have developed an, a capacity to co-regulate. So for my stallions, being able to offer them a safe mirror in which they can, you know, reflect back on and be able to express their emotions with a non-judgmental, you know, I feel like I have to really embody that motherly um, figure for them in a way to be able to kind of, I don't know if you've ever like watched mares with their foals, like they're so tolerant. I mean, I know we all see the videos of like the mares, like really going after their foals and putting them in check, but like even those videos of those mares that keep their foals in check, we see 
the times when their mayors are putting the foals in check. What we're not seeing in those videos are the millions of other times in which those mayors have been very, very forgiving of their foals because they're they understand intrinsically that those forces they're they're learning. They're learning how to regulate themselves. And so obviously I'm not going around like letting them, you know, kick and bite and strike and all that stuff at me, but like creating a space, a safe container in which they can express themselves in which they are not being punished for having feelings. It's a whole long process, but learning how to seek and ask for help so that I can help them regulate when they're ready for me to step in. Um, and then you know, creating, slowly expanding their capacity to be able to regulate themselves. Um, and also just developing that trust that like, I'm going to have that like unending love for them and unending support for them while also being able to carry like very gentle, but clear and firm boundaries, um, that don't have to be like aggressively set, but are set through consistency. Yeah, no, that was good. And that like sparked like my next thing, because what's really cool is I've been, um, through your help working with Biggie on deep intentional relaxation, which I didn't realize we were nowhere close to. And I've been working with him for like a while now. And I'm like, Oh, we're all fine and dandy, but like, I can't really read his facial expression. And it never occurred to me that he could be like, in movement or in like even just compliant next to me but still frozen behind his soft eyes and that was such a wake-up call for me and I was like wow this is so wild and I think of when like my friends will be like oh you said you were so nervous talking in front of that group of people but you looked so relaxed and I'm like oh I was so frozen inside and yeah. that's been so cool to to work to work out with him because um, I realized that the, well, you helped me realize, cause you were like, maybe the arena is a place that's like even too much and it was too much for both of us. So now, you know, we got like this beautiful relaxation in the stall and then we, we take ourselves into the arena and I just now like realized, or I'm coming to realize that I can't even get into deep relaxation if I'm standing next to him in riding position. So I have to sit all the way on the ground and I sit on the ground and I'm like, okay, I'm vulnerable. I can get into a meditative. And it's just, it's so interesting to me how just being able to do that, like all the things that I thought I expected would come easily, like even just hanging out and spending time together. And I'm like, why can't you relax? And he's like, why can't you relax, bitch? Like you're over here reeling and spinning. And you know, you know, like that space that you get in where you try to relax and you like take deep breaths, but you can feel like the deep breaths are like, you know, almost like frustration or whatever. And then he looks at me and he like walks away and goes and eats. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I need to figure this out. And just that ability to co-regulate like as a team with your horse I, it just makes me think of how many people are like skipping that step and what, like if people would just pause, like I didn't realize how much I had to pause, which I guess is the beauty of like finding people like you, by the way, everybody, she opened her calendar, um, <laughs> but finding people like you to, to like show that because I had no idea that we were both frozen and here we are making great progress now. <laughs> but I love that so much and I love that you um I know we had touched on 
um, in our conversations, like maybe try it in a space that's like, you know, less, there's less expectations. And I think that you hit the nail on the head when you were saying that, like, you couldn't even get into that space when you were standing next to him in that riding position. And I think acknowledging all the ways in which we have like preloaded ourselves with all of these expectations of like, when I'm like this, this should happen. Or when I'm standing in this position, we should be working on this thing and being able to step back and bring it back down to like the basics, which is like just participating in, you know, co-regulation with our horses and then being able to build on like a solid foundation from there and, and be able to help ourselves to like strip away of those expectations that we carry. Cause I think that's for most people that I've encountered who have had that have had some level of like training in their past, it's really it can be really tough to let go of like the energetics, even if they're subconscious, the subconscious energetics of like either different positioning or different tack or like places. I have, I, I go through phases where I have like severe aversion to arenas because I, I get into the arena and I go into like trainer mode and I totally lose the, like the feel and the, like the deep emotion that comes with what my, my horses, they get in the arena, like, Oh, we're doing this right now. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, we have some big lessons for you, but the interesting thing is like, it comes and goes like sometimes as I've, as I've dived deeper into like developing that relaxation with the horses and, and recognizing like the role that that plays and how you truly cannot go. I mean, you can, but it's so surface level, but you can't really go past, um, until you've, you've gotten that, um, specifically in positive reinforcement training, I find, um, that, it's interesting, like the, the ways that we really play such a huge part in how our training is progressing with our horses and being able to honor ourselves in that as much as we honor our horses. Cause I think we talk all the time about honoring our horses as, you know, in this, in this little niche world of horsemanship, we do <laughs> can't speak for the rest of the horse world, but, um, you know, honoring the needs of our horses and then realizing that if we aren't honoring the needs of ourselves, that our horses can't you know be met with that same gift too like you were saying um you know how do you expect him to go into this relaxation space or like be able to be meditative with you when like you're trying to get into that space and you're not able to and so I find that um for me like honoring the feelings that come up and being like yeah I'm only going to work in the pasture for this month and being like yeah we can do tons of tons of writing and tons of playing and tons of, you know, Liberty work and, and, um, you know, positive reinforcing, you do all the same stuff we do in the arena, in the pasture, but for whatever reason, having it in the pasture completely changes the energetics of it versus being in the arena. And then it's also incredible how, when you honor that, and then you can take that, that shift and that growth and take it into, you know, harder spaces, like going to the arena or on the trail or anything like that, how, the transformations that happen without any work is so incredible. That's been such an interesting, like, um, little journey I've been on since elements and since like getting to work with you one-on-one, -on -one because I found that I give 
well, one, learning to listen to all of his no's and how many times he had to say no in order to give me a yes and me being like, this is not rejection. This is not rejection. Like this is all about you figuring out. And because it's wild how you think you're holding space for a horse and they're like, no, I can't. I can't. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm being the least invasive. And he's like, not now. And I had to like work through like how that felt for me. And then what was really cool is being able to offer him all those times where he says no. And then learning like the, like that sweet spot between a yes and a no. And like, so I started bringing out tuning forks because like, I realized that both of us needed like an external like stimulus and like he wants to get in the seeking mode. And I'm like, Ooh, well, what if we did like a tuning fork and we'd both like stop and listen to the tuning fork and like take a deep breath. And like, I just love the, the permission almost to just like get a little weird with it and do what you need to do with the horse, because oftentimes it's not the traditional stuff. It's the weird shit that really works. And before you know it, you have this horse that's like, you haven't, like, I just literally trailered him to a friend's house. I haven't trailered him in three years. And he historically has not liked trailering. I brought him, turned him loose in an arena and he followed me around at Liberty and like hung out with me and did all these things. And I'm just like, how fucking cool is it that he would get on a trailer and like, that that's just like a testament to listening to all the no's and then he didn't want to get back on the trailer and when I was like oh okay you want to hang out for a little while longer he was like oh no I'll get on and just like walked right on so it it is really really powerful when you can have that two-way communication yeah I love that so much that makes me so happy to hear that I love that you were able to go and do that with him thank you I have questions so I'm like looking at the time, like, oh God. Um, I Shaylee knows that I have been, and I think I've talked about it a little bit when we were in North Carolina, where um I look back at like videos of me working horses, which was super uncomfortable, but then also <laughs> um I start to look at the things that I thought were relaxation. The things that I thought were, oh, like this horse came in holding lots of tension. There was no movement. And then over time, obviously spent and, you know, all of a sudden there's this like crack open that happens where all of a sudden then they're bucking and kicking. They're like, oh, my God, I have a body. And I saw it mostly with shut down horses where, you know, all of a sudden they're like, I can kick and I'm not going to get in trouble or I can, you know, and then I'll after typically what would happen were these just big these big releases where they would go into this place where they're you know licking and then they're blinking and they're twitching and then I was like oh hold on is this the the um the fawning (laughs) or did they actually relax and I got into this whole thing where I was like I was going through all of my old videos and I was like I don't know what was what and so is there a way <laughs> this might be like a really giant question because I know for me I'm like well wait a minute it's all context right like and I felt like they always got better in the sense that they softened and relaxed and then there was movement so there was like a rebalance that happened so I know something was good in it but I started really questioning what I was doing while I was training and so I don't know if there's anything that can be spoken to about that that isn't you know this long huge 
like in-depth thing. I know it's like a very big question, but it's something that I was like, oh, I don't even know if, you know. And like I said, when I stepped back and I looked at the big picture, did the horse feel better in its body? You know, some of them then revealed how lame they actually were. And then they were, you know, retired appropriately. But some of them got better and then they can use themselves and they were accessing more. So I was like, okay, maybe it was fine or maybe it wasn't. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Very confused. Very confused. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you are right. You're right on the nail with the uh, wondering if it's going to be like a big, giant, long uh, question that involves a lot of saying it depends um, because it does. It depends. It's so context related. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, like obviously what we see in front of us is dependent on the lens, which we have and the lens, which we have is created by all the information we have stored, our biases, our stories that we've told ourselves and all this stuff. So the lens through which we are seeing it in that moment, um, and then the lens through which we see it in the future, or, you know, someone else might see it in that moment can be completely different. So there's, you know, don't, I, you know, obviously, you know, this no hard feelings for things that have happened in the past we're doing the best with what we can in the moment and so I'm sure there were instances too in which like you were guided by your intuition there and you were able to you know be guided and the horses were able to move through some issues that happened and so there I'm sure also were cases in which you know something that worked for one horse was applied to another horse in which it might not have been helpful for um I do think that there is um inherently we've talked about this at the elements, um, that horses move through their emotions through movement. They're not designed to move through it in stillness. And we oftentimes in horse training want them to be so still all the time. And like that, if they're having a problem or if something's coming up, you find stillness and then you can, you know, move from there. And that oftentimes that repetitive approach to come to stillness so often, um, and the desire for, the stillness to the, the desire for us asking for them to be still should override everything. Um, and so horses get very stuck in that freeze. And so I do think there is something that can be really, really powerful for a lot of horses where, you know, sometimes it involves like that pushing to just pushing them to that space where, you know, they do kick out or they buck or they move and all of a sudden they're moving and then it feels better. So, um, you know, and I use the word push in like not a specific sense. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like driving them to it. But um, I think that there are absolutely instances in which just movement of any sort is the answer for that horse. And they might have been able to have like a somatic release where getting to go through the process of like kicking kind of like I was talking, Shaylee, with you about hysteria after um going through her grieving process and, and witnessing grief. And then like the kicking, like just having this huge excited fit of like bucking and kicking and just being able to like literally shake it off. Um, so there is definitely a somatic aspect of healing that happens when a horse can move through and process, um, their emotions in that way. Um, and, that might be the the right answer for that one horse. And it might not be the right answer for another horse, or that might not have been enough in that there wasn't kind of like, <laughs> we also talked about this in elements of connection aftercare, after going through some form of like a therapeutic um, experience that might bring up a lot. 
that some sometimes that horse that went through the process that you were saying, looking through your videos might've just needed an additional level of that aftercare in order for that to have been really beneficial for them. Um, or they might've needed something beforehand. So it's like, yes, there's so much context that's needed. And there's, I think, um, I'm not one to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, understanding that like things that we did in the past, like I'm a big classical dressage person. Um, I don't like throwing things out completely um, because I think that like there is an there's like a a nugget of truth in every in everything, and so being able to discern that, like going back through and watching those videos, and like just being able to completely let go of your lens and be like, how did that feel for this horse? And then going back and watching it and being like, knowing how that felt for that horse, you know, can I look and see, you know, antecedent uh, behaviors that were happening leading up to it or like post behavior or post explosion behaviors that might show me something if I can look at it and understand it from a behaviorism aspect. And then, you know, going back and watching it and looking at it from like a a body worker perspective and like how can we marry all of these different lenses which we have but like starting out by stripping all the lenses and looking at it from an intuitive standpoint I think is a good way to kind of go back on old things that we were doing and be able to pull those seeds of truth because there definitely is like aspects of healing and truth um when you're guided by your in intuition and five or ten years down the road we probably are all going to look back on the things that we're doing and be like oh god we could go so much deeper and be so much better. So just holding space for that at any time we look back and realizing that looking back is the only path to moving forward. We have to be able to look back with um, kindness and love and um, reverence for the, where we came from. So I love that you were going back and looking through it. Poor Shaylee. I was like, wait, watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... I, I don't feel like I, I look back for sure. The beginning part of my career disastrous, I'm sure. I mean, the horses were all good, but were they good? Um, and I feel like mostly when I started doing things differently, it was intuition and I can look back and go, well, they all, the ones that, you know, it, that I worked went on to be better than when they came, whether or not it was like, I could have gone so much further or not. I don't know. But so that was like where I was like, okay, you're fine. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Don't get all weird and guilty and start freaking out. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely, um, for everyone. And we kind of talked about it a little bit this morning. When you look back, when you're going on this path and you're starting to watch podcasts like this, or going to events like the elements of connection, people get really wrapped up in that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> holy crap. I can't believe I did that. And, um, to stay out of the guilt, <laughs> the guilt weeds, because, that doesn't really do a lot of good. It's more of like, how can I look at this and go, okay, wait, what was actually happening? So yeah, lots to learn. Now I'm happy that I'm left with my horses and I'm not training anymore. So now I'm like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and unravel what I have actually done because no one else for the most part has touched them in any way. And I'm going to see what I actually have, <laughs> which is terrifying, but also, <laughs> okay, because I have all of you guys to help me. <laughs> So good. Love that. So um obviously we're kind of at the end of our time, but we have two questions in our um in our membership. And I think the so everyone's curious about deep relaxation. 
um, and the balance between deep relaxation and play drive, like getting one um, and getting the other, but oscillating between the two being difficult. So do you mind speaking about the balance between relaxation and play and potentially, I mean, obviously that's a, all these questions are so big because each horse is so individual, but maybe oscillating between the two or when it's appropriate or whatever feels good to you to say about that. Yeah. I think it always just comes back to horses who have a capacity for healthy emotional regulation. I think the biggest thing I come across with, um, you know, people who are seeking to seeking to develop play drive um, is that, you know, oftentimes we're doing so and not to say that it's bad. So like, honestly, there are some horses in which like just getting play of any sort, even if it leads to like almost a compulsion or an obsession, like sometimes that's the healthiest thing for their body. And they literally need that to heal their body. Um, but I think that we oftentimes are getting into it with a horse who hasn't necessarily developed the ability to move healthily through the nervous system and oftentimes get stuck, whether it's a horse that is, you know, frozen, which is a lot of horses are frozen. They're constantly in a state of freeze or they're like super spooky and they're constantly in a state of flight. And we're trying to, oftentimes those are people come to me and they want to find play for those two types of horses because they either want the horses who are spooky to be more courageous or they want the horses who are frozen to be more playful and out of their shell um and those are horses who their nervous systems are they're, they're stuck they're they're not able to move fluidly through a nervous system response and so oftentimes like it's it's like pushing the gas pedal and the gas pedal gets stuck and um the reason why it's so important to be able to have um like a healthy approach to developing deep relaxation because i think that's another thing that's really important to discuss is that oftentimes what i've seen from people who believe their horses are incredibly relaxed even with um r plus is a horse who's stuck in fawn or a stuck a horse who is um just like compliant with, like you said, the frozen with like the, everything's going on behind the eyes, but they are like frozen behind this kind of like softish exterior. Um, so making sure that we're developing it through like a way that honors the nervous system and honors the horse's needs, um, which is hard to do. It is really hard to do. And it can take a while sometimes. Um, and like you said, Jaylee, lots of nose, nose are okay. Nose are good. We need nose. Um, but yeah, the, the way to not have a, uh, the gas pedal that gets stuck, the accelerator that's just stuck down and our engine is revving and revving and revving. Um, you have to be able to have a cue for them to be able to come back down and that that doesn't feel oppressive and that doesn't feel um, coercive and that it doesn't feel impossible. Those are like the main things that need to happen. And so in order to have those, three things be met to make sure we're not doing those. Um, we need to develop them in, you know, spaces in which our horses are capable of saying no, they're capable of being able to reach what we're asking for. And we are capable of listening to and looking for what it is exactly that we're looking to develop. Um, and so the, a horse should always be able to oscillate, um, 
I feel like if we're, if, if we ever have either the brake stuck or the accelerator stuck, we need to go back and reevaluate whether it's where the brake is stuck and we can't get out of stillness and, you know, freeze, then we need to reevaluate how our horse is stuck in, you know, um, in that state. And if we have the, uh, the opposite where the accelerator is on, which is one that I see very frequently with, um, R plus and it not for like, not for any, uh, ill intentions whatsoever. It's just, it's exciting. We're stimulating the nervous system with something that, um, literally stimulates the seeking, um, part of the nervous system. So if that, get, if that gets stuck, the accelerator on that side gets stuck and we can't give them a cue to come back in a way that feels good and healthy for them. It's just going to create more frustration. It's going to drive that further. And then we're going to basically poison any of uh, the positive effects that we're looking to get from activating our play drive. So to me, I feel like it's important, equally important to have both. And we should be able to, we should be able to cue and ask for either one knowing that we won't necessarily get the full spectrum. So like, for example, with my stallions, if they're getting really worked up as we're like walking along pasture full of mares that are galloping around and being excited and I'm cueing for him to bring himself down, I know that I'm not going to get like, unless I'm truly an oppressor, I'm not going to have him stop and go like, oh, okay, I'm so relaxed right now. Like, obviously that's not going to happen, but if I have worked and developed it properly, I can ask for him to come down and he can come down to the level in which he feels comfortable to, which might just be that he goes from like screaming with his dick swinging everywhere to like, okay, oh, I can actually like walk and not prance and I can stop calling and I can begin to, you know, relax away from the like sexual seeking and kind of come back down into like a more observant space. Now, because I've habitually done that and worked on developing um, his capacity for that. That happens less and less and less every time. And he has realized that in being able to, that being able to come down into that calmer state affords him more freedom to interact and <laughs> socially be accepted by my mares who are like, mm, I don't want anything to do with you when you're being crazy. So, you know, there's a, uh, by taking it in these little tiny steps and, and being aware of what they're capable of in that moment and not asking for more than they're capable of, we slowly expand their capacity and we make it feel, um, possible for them without having that, like, we don't want to give them any hangups. Like when we're asking for them to relax, like you should, there shouldn't be an unrealistic expectation of relaxation in the same way that there shouldn't be an unrealistic expectation of play when they're not ready for it. Um, cause we will develop some serious hangups with them, um, emotionally, you know, like on the, the human side of it, we are so aware of the hangups that come when we have like unrealistic expectations placed on us. So good. There's more questions, but it's already one Oh six. So <laughs> I will, I will say that um, if you guys do have more questions, you guys can schedule an appointment with Tara because her books are open. Um, 
And so we want to say thank you for hanging out with us and thank you for being you. I was saying the other day, I was like, if I had a horse trainer and if I was a horse and I had a trainer, I would definitely want it to be Tara because if anyone has experienced her in clinic form, it's like you watch and you're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> I feel so good. Yes. I'm like, oh, I feel so good. <laughs> So I always tell people, if you're going to take your horse to a trainer and drop it off, go take a lesson and be around that said person and see how you feel, because that is how your horse is going to feel when they're with them. And if it doesn't feel good, then don't drop them off. <laughs> That's such good advice. I love that so much. So if people do you want to work with you, we'll stick a link in the show notes. Um, but do you want, do you have a place that you can send them? Yeah. Um, my website is radically out of date. So sorry about that. So that is such a theme. I swear with every person we have, they're like, well, actually my website needs to be updated. <laughs> so you're not alone. We are all here. <laughs> um, but I have a Calendly. So, um, that's where like you can book if you're interested in just like booking sessions with me. Um, it's calendly.com slash unbridled goddess. Um, you can also just check out my social medias um, at unbridled goddess on Instagram. And for the most part, I just use my personal Facebook page. So feel free to reach out there. Um, I'm also just really sad that I can't get I'm looking at some of these questions right now. And I'm, really I'm well, I'm open to it. I was trying to be respectful of your time. Um, if Shailene might have to go, but if you want to keep going, we totally can. It's totally up to you. Anything else to do? I I <laughs> anything booked today at all? Oh, I purposely, okay. I purposefully have given myself oh, like a long time after last week to just. Yeah, yeah. So we can um, answer com- a couple of the qu- the questions that are there, and then Shaylee, if you have to leave, we'll just watch you disappear. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see. So. How do you put so much trust into horses? One of the first stories you ever told on a podcast about your journey with horses was going to a ranch with a colored hair climbing on the then back of a gypsy. Was it letting her take you to their secret place? I just read it, but I think there might have been a typo there. Um, how did you do that? <laughs> um, well, that one was... I didn't want to, <laughs> that was me fawning. That was me not <laughs> wanting to let someone down. Um, I was scared absolutely shitless um, in that instance right there. But um, I think, uh, how do I put so much trust in my horses? I, I, I feel like a lot of it is just, I spend so much time with them understanding what it is they're saying that I feel like I can trust in here. I practiced hearing their no's and hearing their yeses. And I feel like they're, I have such a deep understanding of that now that I, I can put myself in situations which um, might not be advisable to a lot of the general public. Um, but also that I, I do deeply feel that if I want my horse to trust me, I have to trust in them. And that does not mean getting on them bridleless <laughs> and bareback like I do for their first rides. It does not necessarily mean that because I've done the work to, to, you know, set them up for success in that moment. So I think holding space for setting yourself up for success, I don't put myself in instances in which I don't think I can be successful with what I'm asking for my horses. So being very realistic about 
Like there are, there are some horses where I'm like, I'm not going to, you have riding training and I'm not going to ride you for six months. I could trust myself and just get on their backs, but I know I'm not going to set themselves up for my, set them up for success or myself up for success. So holding that space of like trusting them implicitly, but knowing also realistic, what can I trust them with? My deep level of trust might be going into their paddock without a halter on and letting them interact with me. My deep trust of them might also be saying, thank you. I appreciate that you're overstimulated right now. I'm going to step out of the gate for 10 minutes and then I'm going to come back. So if trust isn't always just hopping on them bitless and a bridalist and bareback and going for a gallop through the fields, like it literally can just be like, hey, can I muck out your stall without you being tied up? Which is, that's where I had to start with my stallion Canelo of like, I trust you not to like get way overstimulated and, and, you know, be dangerous with me, with me just mucking out and not interacting with you. Like that can be a first deep sense of trust. So being uh, understanding of the situation and, and recognizing where that trust can be and starting there, because if you try to go too far, if you try to go too deep, too early, you're going to set both of yourself, yourselves up for failure, because when you set yourself up for failure, you no longer trust that you can be successful. So, yeah, definitely. Um, there was a second one, but I believe it sort of got answered in the beginning of the call. And I think she hopped on a little bit late. It was, um, what behavior show up with a stallion slash full when weaned too soon or isolated from her dynamics to learn from inability to self-regulate. I almost said question mark. <laughs> you can tell I, I do talk to text a lot. <laughs> um, but I think you sort of touched on that at the beginning of the call. Yeah, that inability to self-regulate for sure, but also behavior like oral fixation behaviors. So whether it's like cribbing, um, excessively biting other horses, <laughs> a donkey. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, not being able to read no signals from other horses, um, not being able to read yes signals from other horses, which then also leads to less attunement to human um, yeses and nos and boundaries that have been placed around there. But lots of um, oral um, self-soothing behaviors like wanting to chew or bite or interact with like playing bitey face. Um, bitey face with a human doesn't look the same as bitey face with a horse. Um, but that the constant need to chew on things, the constant need to like put their mouth on things. Um, that's another one that can, uh, can kind of manifest as, uh, really frequently in the, in the, specifically the geldings and stallions that, um, I almost exclusively see that in geldings and stallions, not so much in mares. And I'm convinced that's because the mares like, sort of get some surrogacy that happens there and some geldings and stallions are lucky to have that surrogacy but not always a lot less common it seems yeah 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 that was it there was just two so it was perfect I thought there was more because I just saw lots of writing I was like oh um I just saw I'm so bummed and I was like no <laughs> here's one for you have you ever thought about making videos about what you do instead of just pictures <laughs> um yeah, I have thought about that a lot. And I think oftentimes, um, like what you see on the surface of a video is so uh, surface level and people either have unrealistic expectations of like, oh, I should be able to get on and passage my stallion bridalists if I just do X, Y, and Z. So I try not to, I try not to present that also because there's such a complexity and like the reasons for what I, why I choose what I do. And, you know, 
not necessarily following all of the rules of like, um, you know, behaviorism or, um, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a complicated one, but I, I don't like to share a lot of videos because there's so much context that's missing and even like a 20 minute clip. And then obviously I'm not going to be posting 20 minute clips. Um, so like a 30 second clip is even less context. And I really am a strong believer in context and yeah. So I tend not to do that because I also don't want to get anyone in danger because the things that I do again, like I break some of the rules because I've immersed myself in the rules for a long enough time. Um, and it might not be safe for somebody to do the things that I do. And it might not be beneficial for the horse in the same way that if I'm like, when I choose something to do, it's always like, I'm choosing this for the benefit of the horse. If you're looking at me and deciding she's doing it because she says it's okay for a different horse that might be not, might not be beneficial. So yeah, I definitely hold back from doing that. It's also why I have held back from doing courses for so long. because I'm terrified of my teachings being used to, um, unintentionally to harm horses. I'm very, very terrified of that. And I'm trying to get over that to some degree by creating a course that is tangible and understandable surrounding the deep relaxation. But again, I'm so scared of not being able to be a part of every single moment of that person and horse's journey that I really struggle with just putting it out there. Yeah. I think that was partially, I did that masterclass and it was mostly focused on the person and just like little tiny tidbits of asking for permission for halting, like little things. And then the follow-up was supposed to be a level two, which was going to be great. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I can't do it. I kept trying. People kept asking. And I was like, I can't do it. I don't know a way to do it where, because there's so much, such a wide variety and variation of situations. And I was like, there's just no way that. Um, so I'm glad you're working on that because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I just keep waiting for somebody else to do it. And no, it's not happening. And I'm like, oh, God, really? really going to make me do this. <laughs> um, okay. There's one more. It says, can we talk more about entitlement to ride as what would be the point of a domesticated horse? I love my dog, but she's about $50 a month to feed. And horses are about 10,000 times more than that and take up space and have the worst of luck with digestion. <laughs> what, would, <laughs> what would they want to do aside from being ridden? Oh, well, I have had a horse for 10 years who I have ridden twice and I could ride, um, that I, I don't. And she and I have one of the most, um, powerful, potent, magical, transformative relationships. It's Enzo's mom. Um, and she was the first horse who ever told me that she didn't want to be ridden. Well, she, she goes into people pleaser mode. She'll let me ride her. I could ride her tomorrow. If I want, I could ride her right now. If I stand up on anything, she goes flying sideways across the arena to line up and present her back no matter what, but it's not, it's not right. It doesn't feel good. Um, and I know she's doing it out of a desire to please and not out of a, like a true instinctual, like an inner desire to carry me. Um, but we have the most transformative relationship and she really showed me I mean like there's nothing you can't do from the ground like we can do a we can do a pre-St. George test tomorrow from the ground and never have had like long lines or anything on um be because there's there's 
an endless possibility of the things that you can do and train and play with. And that's, that's even for like, from a, you know, from a cognitive standpoint of like, there are things that you can do. There are things that you can train that there are ways that you can engage your trainer brain. Cause I have a trainer brain. I love training things. I love teaching things. And like, I genuinely not prefer, I love writing. I do love writing, but like, if I had to choose one, either writing or groundwork after working with Nisa for so long, I'd choose groundwork because you can do all the things. So there's, there's that, but I do understand. I do understand the <laughs> like, it's an expensive, it's an expensive therapist. Right. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, Shaley, do you feel complete? I do. I think I'm just reading that question and I'm like, it all goes back to like permission to be and humans who feel like they don't have a permission to just be, you know, we have to be, and maybe it's our society. We have to be working and doing and all the things like we don't give ourselves permission to rest or just be, or feel deserving of just being who we are and living our lives and doing what we want aside from, you know, the money you spend. Um, I think, and then the worst of luck with digestion. I think it's all about perspective. Like, um, you know, I don't know. I've had a horse for 10 years that's never had a single digestive issue. So I think maybe that's some of the lessons that your horses have for you. But um, I think like, if you ask like, what would they want to do aside from being ridden? Like, they're doing it. They're eating and hanging out and bringing a sense of community and, uh, yeah, an, an expensive therapist. <laughs> so permission to be. Good, good, good. And Tara, do you have anything that you feel like you want to say before we end? Oh gosh. Um, no, just thank you guys for creating a space that feels so like, okay to come on and have, uh, I kept finding myself wanting to apologize for being messy and unorganized in my thoughts and being like, stop it. Like, that's not what this is about. And just having, um, having tea with y'all, spilling some tea with y'all. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. That's why we have our little, we, if we do, oh, we talked about this with Catherine too, cause she kind of was doing the same thing. And I was like, our entire basis of our podcast is a freaking squirrel because of our squirrel minds. And sometimes we just roll off on tangents that are so far away from what we were talking about. We even named him. He's nutmeg. He's our inspired action, inspired things that need to come out right then. So we just roll with it. So that's why we love you so much because you fit right in with us. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys and all that you're, all that you're doing. And I love, uh, I love co-creating with you guys and um, I love doing this with you guys and I love talking with you guys. So I'm happy to be here. And, and yeah, I also just want to give like a, a major thank you and shout out to Shaylee because I genuinely don't feel like I could have gotten through the losses that I've experienced in the last year without you and the, um, just like the permission you've given me to not think I'm crazy about, you know, following the lessons that the horses have, but also, um, thank you for allowing me to, um, actually take in the lessons that they had for me rather than just internalizing them and pretending that I'm too sensitive or too serious or take this 
thing too spiritually or whatever it is that, you know, I've told myself a million times over. So thank you for that. Also a massive rainbow just popped up in my, in my window, like across <laughs> the sun came out and it's still raining and there's just a full rainbow <laughs> over my barn. That's like the biggest uh, rainbow I've ever seen. So. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Thanks okay. for trusting me with the messages. Yeah, thank you. Like, cannot, cannot thank you enough. My heart hurts. I'm just grateful for you. Aww. <laughs> well, okay. same here because um, you got me and my horse out of freeze mode and I can't wait for our lesson next week, so. <laughs> <sighs> All right, ladies. All right. Well, again, if you guys want to find Tara or set up a session with her, we'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. And you can follow her on social media if you don't already, which you probably do. Um, and <laughs> we will see you later. I don't want to go. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>